Welcome, everyone. Good Easter morning to you. Good Resurrection Sunday to you all. I'm so glad to be able to welcome you to Madison Street Church. You know, today we celebrate reunion. We celebrate the reunion of Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth with all creation. We celebrate the reunion of all humankind, including us gathered here with our loving Father. And we celebrate the marvelous, mysterious mystery of the reunion of the dead body of Jesus with the glorious, everlasting soul of Christ. So as we enter into worship this morning, receive the word from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, followed by a reflection from Thomas Keating's book, The Mystery of Christ. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought perfumed oils with which they intended to anoint the body of Jesus. Very early, just after sunrise, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb. They were saying to one another, who will roll back the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? When they looked, they found that the stone had been rolled away. On entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, dressed in a white robe. This frightened them thoroughly, but he reassured them, you need not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified. He has been raised up. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, where you will see him just as he told you. They made their way out and fled from the tomb, bewildered and trembling. And because of their great fear, they said nothing to anyone. The alienation that Jesus experienced in his passion caused him to die without the experience of personal union with the Father that he had enjoyed throughout his earthly life. His holy soul, bearing our sins, descended into the destructive waters of the great abyss in order that our sinfulness might be utterly destroyed. Because of Christ's divine power, at the moment that sin was destroyed, the waters of the great abyss, these same waters instantly became the waters of eternal life. Christ gave to water the capacity to flow in superabundant mercy and to bring forth creatures capable of carrying and sharing his divine light, life, and love. As Christ's soul emerged from the waters, as Christ's soul emerged from the waters made life-giving by the touch of his sacred humanity, he re-entered his body. The sacrifice he had offered released within the bosom of the Father an incredible outpouring of divine light, life, and love. The fire of the Holy Spirit, bursting with the fullness of divine energy, rushed upon his sacred remains. 
the perfumed oil of immense weight and value, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, suggests the immense power that the Spirit exerted when the soul of Christ re-entered his body. In this union, the Father poured into the risen Jesus the whole of the divine essence, the utter riches, glory, and prerogatives of the divine nature in a way that is utterly inconceivable to us. Easter is the awakening of divine life in us. Christ is risen is not merely the cry of historical witnesses. It is the cry of all people throughout the centuries who have realized Christ is rising in them. Not only in the form of emotional enthusiasm, but in the form of unshakable conviction, the light of Christ reveals the fact of our abiding union with him and his potential to transform every aspect of our lives. Let's pray. Dearest God, almighty God, creator of the heavens and the earth, may we experience the incredible outpouring of your divine light, life, and love this morning. Thank you for reuniting us with yourself, each other, and all you have created through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Angels in the daytime are anything but routine. Yet there they were, reciting the impossible like old news. He is risen. My mind still stuck on that stone, wondering who rolled it away? Were the disciples stuck on that too? Or was it the missing body? Or the eerie way his clothes were left behind? Sometimes we tend to miss the point. He is risen. Now comes the work of building his kingdom, of reflecting his light through the transformed lives his bloody sacrifice made possible. His end, a new beginning. His death and resurrection, an arrow pointing us in a new direction. Lord, may we, like arrows, bend ourselves to your touch. May we fly straight and free wherever you would send us. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb, bringing the fragrant spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They didn't know what to make of this. Suddenly, two men were standing beside them in gleaming, bright clothing. The women were frightened and bowed their faces toward the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? 
He isn't here, but he has been raised. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the human one must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. When they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, and the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Their words struck the apostles as nonsense, and they didn't believe the women. But Peter ran to the tomb. When he bent over to look inside, he saw only the linen cloth. Then he returned home, wondering what had happened. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 26. If we have a hope in Christ only in this life, then we deserve to be pitied more than anyone else. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first crop of the harvest of those who have died. Since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead came through one too. In the same way that everyone dies in Adam, so also everyone will be given life in Christ. Each event will happen in the right order. Christ, the first crop of the harvest, then those who belong to Christ at his coming. And then at the end, when Christ hands over the kingdom to, the God, to God the Father, when he brings every form of rule, every authority and power to an end, it is necessary for him to rule until he puts all enemies under his feet. Death is the last enemy to be brought to an end. The word of the Lord. Days are coming when God's glory will appear out of the midst of pain, and we will sing a new song. That day of a new song has arrived. Easter is upon us. Christ the Lord is risen today. Blah, 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 blah. I hope it doesn't feel that way to you, but there are times when it can feel that way. When we have heard the story yet again, the cycle of Advent and Epiphany and Lent and now Easter and yeah, we've heard all this before. Isn't there anything new about the good news? Well, there is. The resurrection wasn't an experience full of heavenly choirs and bells and whistles and, and joyful dancing up and down. It was a confused, painful moment. It was a jarring experience. It was... It was like Jack Black playing rock music. It was, it was arresting. It wasn't at all glorious harmonies. The resurrection was a discordant note in the world as it was. Because on that Easter Sunday morning, the world as it was believed it had won. History had asserted itself. We don't need a Messiah. We don't need a guy teaching us to love our enemies. Are you kidding me? To pray for those who persecute us? I don't think so. 
And history had asserted itself. It had righted the ship. The way things were supposed to be, the world as it was, had won. They had vanquished this interloper, this pretend Messiah, this carpenter's son from Nazareth. And the women who loved Jesus weren't going to the tomb in anticipation of resurrection. They were going to the tomb to finish preparing his body for burial. Jesus' death was so awful, so gruesome, so hasty, because crucifixion was an agonizing death that took days, whereas Jesus' death only took hours, that the Sabbath came upon them so quickly they couldn't finish the preparations for Jesus' burial. So they simply wrapped him up and put him in the tomb. And these women went in their defeat and their pain to do what needed to be done. And they went. And they encountered the greatest surprise of history. The stone was rolled away and there was no body in the tomb. Corpse of Jesus is missing. This must be the act of that political tyrant Pilate, not wanting Jesus' followers to regroup around a martyr. They must have removed his body. And these women are brokenhearted. They've, they surrender. It's enough. I can't do this anymore. They're, the text says they're wondering about all this. Wondering. They're in agony. They have more questions than they'll ever have answers for. And no way to get a handle on any of it. And then, in the midst of their wonder, they encounter two messengers who proclaim Jesus has risen. And the Greek is definitive there. It's what we call an aorist passive. It's a passive voice. This has happened to Jesus, and it's aorist. It happened at a point in time. This isn't some fictional, glorious, literary device to move the story forward. This is a historical fact. Jesus isn't dead anymore. He rose from the dead. God has acted to overthrow the world as it is. To take the world that would tamp down violently such sentiment as loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Hi, buddy. And he he reaches into history and carries the day 
Family Sunday at Madison Street Church. It's all good. And in these messengers telling the story, they, the women begin to remember the promises Jesus made. Yeah, Jesus, he said something about being put to death and rising from the dead, but we thought that was too much pizza and wine. We, we just, we didn't know what to do with that. And, and they begin to realize there's something amazing happening here. And so they come back from the tomb and they do what people who have seen a great experience do. They tell others. They told the disciples. They told the apostles. What a silly waste of time that was. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who were with them told the apostles, but they did not believe the women. Guys, we do this at our peril, okay? <laughs> this is just dumb of us. When a woman tells you something, at least have the courtesy to say, yes, dear, I believe you. They thought it was nonsense which I'm sure made Sunday morning breakfast a very strained affair for everybody. But Peter gets up and he runs to the tomb. And he's left with the same experience. He wonders. It's the same word that's used to describe how the women feel. He enters into the tomb. It's empty. And he has the same moment of jarring confusion and heartbreak and, and uncertainty. Is this Pilate's prank or is this real? What do I do now? And Luke, being the master storyteller, leaves the story right there and pivots to the Emmaus Road leaving us on that Easter Sunday morning with Peter's wondering, doubting, questioning, fearfulness. Anybody who says the resurrection is a great event doesn't understand what happened that morning. The resurrection was a terrifying event. It was a jarring experience. It left the, the closest followers of Jesus dazed and confused. It left them uncertain about what to do next. It left them perplexed and puzzled. And frankly, it leaves us that way too. We don't always know what to do with the resurrection. Jesus, the great teacher of good manners, we get that, Jesus. Be nice to each other. I'm not picking on everything I learned to know I learned in kindergarten. I'm just saying that that's often where the sentiment ends. With, can't we all just get along? The resurrection is so much more than that. It goes so much deeper. It goes to those things that, that we fear the most, that terrify us. And the resurrection cuts through that and speaks into our hearts the deepest point. 
That's what Paul tries to do in 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter on resurrection. Paul's trying to interpret the meaning of resurrection to a church that's divided eight ways from Sunday about its theology. I mean, if you handed out a theological test to the Corinthian church, uh, you'd, you'd, for every person there, you'd get two different answers. It, it, was, it was a church that was in turmoil, conflict, confusion, doubt, that had ethical challenges and relational challenges. It wasn't a seeker-sensitive congregation. Let's just put it that way. They had huge problems. And into this, Paul, Paul doesn't talk about, you know, Jesus wants us to all get along with each other. He talks about resurrection. That's where the whole letter goes. From Paul's beginning chapters about Christ as the foundation to his answering questions about the ethical challenges and issues the church faces to his treatise on love, he's moving inexorably to this crescendo, to this capstone moment where he talks about resurrection. And he says, beginning in verse 19, that resurrection isn't just some kind of optional doctrine, some kind of theological widget that we stick on the end of our aspirations to be nice to each other. He says, the resurrection is essential. Without the resurrection, we're silly people. What we do as the church is silly and pointless. Without the resurrection at the heart of how we think about ourselves as the people of God, we've indulged in a great adventure in missing the point. The resurrection, Paul says, forms us. It doesn't just tell us a nice thing about Jesus. It makes us who we are. When we say we are the people of God, we are followers of Jesus, we are embracing out loud and with purpose the notion that Christ's resurrection has transformed us and that there are no two ways about that. We can quibble about all kinds of details about theology and doctrine and all that stuff. But this is central, Paul says. Without the resurrection, nothing else matters. He goes on to say that resurrection matters because it is the defeat of death. The thing that creates in us the greatest existential fear. What, what's beyond? What happens when I die? The thing that we're most afraid of. It's beaten. It's defeated. Yeah, it still happens. It's a little bit like the Dodgers playing baseball in September. They play baseball, but they're not in the pennant race. The season's over for them. Death's been defeated. Death's been defeated. It still happens, but it's been defeated. Its power to influence the world is broken. Death no longer matters. What matters instead, Paul says, is that the resurrection is the victory of life. That the resurrection 
is God's affirmation that life always triumphs. That, that God's will is to live. That his desire is for us to know the first fruits of creation, the abundance of God's gift to us. And that therefore the resurrection is the beginning and the ending point of a new history. That that Easter Sunday morning when the world thought things were going to continue as they were, they were fooled. The world found instead that a new age is being ushered in. The kingdom is coming. We, you and I, we don't... We don't uh, we don't roll up our sleeves and get our tool kits and, and build the kingdom into, into being. The kingdom's already here. We uncover it. We strip away the layers of varnish bit by bit until the beauty of God's kingdom radiates in our midst. The resurrection means that the kingdom of God is among us and in us and working through us the resurrection means that all things are now possible. That Christ in us is the hope of glory. Not just an aspiration. In this season, in the weeks ahead, we will use the language of music to talk about this Easter season because Easter in the church should never be a one-off Sunday. The church I grew up in, we'd be bouncing along and then all of a sudden, oh, it's Easter! And everybody's wearing, you know, new hats and fancy clothes and new shoes. And then the next Sunday, back to business. That's not the way the, it's not the, way the ancient church conceived of it. The ancient church conceived of a season of remembering the resurrection. We're going to use the theme of music, because the resurrection is a new song that we sing. It is the new song that we sing. For all other religions promise other things than resurrection. Christian way promises that out of death comes new life. And so we will sing that new song, but that new song, that that, that prelude begins today. Easter, Easter is a prelude, not, not, the, not the final verse. Easter's the beginning. And like most beginnings, it begins in a perplexing way. We all hesitated a bit this morning when Gary began to sing the prelude to the first song and Wait a second, the words aren't up there. What's, what's up with that? Why didn't that happen? Well, because preludes perplex us. They, they draw us in, but we don't know where it's going. And that's the way it is with Christ's resurrection. His resurrection doesn't clarify everything all at once. It doesn't shine a spotlight on our souls and make us go, oh, that's what I've got to do with my life. But it begins that process. 
It is the perplexing, essential point of the Christian way. If you think following Jesus is simply a matter of ticking off a few boxes and saying, yeah, I believe this and I'm nice to my neighbor and I've done that, and you've missed the point of the Christian way. Christian way invites us into the hard work of loving our enemy, of loving our neighbor as ourself, of, of giving of ourselves to others. And so Easter is the perplexing, confusing, wondering, but essential point of the Christian way. Easter is the surprise that resets the terms of how the world ought to be. The world thought it had won. Surprise! Christ is risen. And the power of evil's back is broken. It can struggle and flail around, but it can't win now. And Easter is the message that death is no longer victorious. That life can be lived with joyful, simple abundance. Easter makes all the difference. But here's the thing. Easter isn't about the cross or even the tomb. Easter's about Jesus. Now, I, I just want to make a note there. I took that picture. <laughs> the, uh, the garden tomb in just outside the old city of Jerusalem where, where Protestants think Jesus rose from the dead. There's also the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where Catholics and Orthodox think Jesus rose from the dead. So that's Jerusalem in a nutshell. <laughs> but that's also the point. The symbol of our faith, the cross, and the promise of our faith, the empty tomb, are means to an end. If, if we stop with the cross or the empty tomb, we've again missed the point. The point is Jesus. Easter is about Jesus. And so this morning, some questions for us to think about. When was the last time Jesus surprised you or perplexed you or just made you wonder a bit? When was the last time you were caught up short by Jesus' message. When was the last time you're, you were reading the Gospels and you went, no way, I got to do that? I don't know. When was the last time you felt just a little bit skeptical about the faith, the way the 11 felt when the women came and said, Two messengers came to us in the empty tomb. Jesus wasn't there, but, but he's, he's risen. And, and Yeah, right. When was the last time you had a yeah, right response about the Christian way? And it forced you to leave what you were doing and run and check it out. And upon sticking your head in the empty tomb and looking around, beginning to have the same wonderings instead of the skeptical wonderings that you once had. And when was the last time the Christian way felt like a victory in your life instead of one more thing I have to do? When was the last time the shout of hallelujah was real? 
Where's the call from AT&T? <laughs> One more thing. Pope Francis said it best again. Easter is about asking Jesus what he wants from you and being brave. Easter is about asking Jesus what he wants from you. And then in bravery, turning and doing that. Jesus asks a lot of us. He doesn't demand. He doesn't, he doesn't threaten. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, intimidate. He just invites. He just invites. And then he says, be brave. Be brave.